Uh, I want to invite you to take a Bible and open up to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you're welcome to use one of the Bibles that uh, we provide for you in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the Bible or how to find your way around in the Bible, um, the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, the page number for it in the Pew Bible is actually printed in the worship guide to help you out there. Uh, but we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses uh, 16 through 26. So 16 through the end of chapter 5. Uh, for those of you who are maybe just coming into the series this morning, we've been going through this letter to the Galatians uh, throughout the summer, uh, and we only have one sermon remaining after this morning, so next Sunday we will uh, finish our study of Galatians. But just real quick overview uh, to help uh, you to get familiar with what's going on here. So Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul was a guy who uh, went around starting churches, and then once those churches were started, he would maintain relationships with those churches to encourage them, uh, to uh, challenge them, uh, and to make sure that they were staying rooted in the teaching of Jesus and also the life of Jesus. Well, in this particular region, Galatia, um, think modern-day Turkey, gives you a little bit of an idea of where Galatia was. Um, what was happening in the churches of Galatia is that there was a group of false teachers, we could say, that were making their way in, and they were teaching um, a message that was contrary to what the Apostle Paul had originally taught in Galatia. You see, Paul taught that we come into a relationship with God, um, we are made right with God, in other words, through our faith in what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. In other words, there's, there's nothing that we can do, uh, we can't perform, we can't earn God's love and favor. It's received as a gift as we embrace who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Well, this group of false teachers that I mentioned, they began saying that, yes, we, we agree with that, kind of. Um, Jesus is definitely important. You have to have faith in him and what he did. But you also have to do stuff. You have to perform. Um, you have to adopt, essentially, Jewish customs. You have to do these rituals, these Jewish rituals, to really be in with God, both in with the family of God, the church, but then also in with God as far as relationship with him. Um, so this is what the group what, what was saying. And so Paul gets word of this, and he writes this letter uh, to these young Christians in Galatia to say, do not listen to that message. Do not believe that message. In fact, run from that message because it's dangerous. And so this is the purpose of the letter, to call these young Christians back into uh, a true understanding of uh, grace, of faith, and uh, the Christian faith, basically. So I want to read for us um, these final verses of chapter 5, 16 through 26. Paul writes, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's now pray to the Spirit uh, to ask for the Spirit's help as we talk about this passage together. Holy Spirit, teach us. Teach us in such a way that we would be transformed. We don't want to just learn details from this text. We don't want to just uh, gain information. We actually want to encounter Jesus in his word. That is the purpose of the story of God. It's the purpose of scripture, that we might meet Jesus in the word. And so Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus, bring us to Jesus, transform us by Jesus, we pray. We pray that you would do this wherever we find ourselves in this current moment, believing, disbelieving, or unsure of what we believe. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think back um, over the course of this past week, and the reality is that you could think of several examples, but I'm going to encourage you to just maybe isolate one example from your life over the past week in which you experienced an internal struggle. And by internal struggle, what I mean is that you um, were faced with a choice, a choice to choose self or a a choice to choose the other. So you were faced with a choice um, of self-centered living or other-centered living. Now, I'm just going to give you a a couple moments, think over the course of the week, Very well could have been um, this morning as you came into this building. Maybe it's right now as we sit here. I don't know. But just try to think of that example. We all know what that struggle is like, don't we? That internal struggle. And, And it can be pretty intense, right? Sometimes it's not so intense because, you know, sometimes maybe the Holy Spirit is really uh, at work in us, we, are, we feel really attuned to the Spirit, and so it's easier for us to choose the other over self. But then there are other times, maybe, you know, I don't know, we feel distant from the Spirit, we're not in tune with the Spirit, we're not walking in step with the Spirit, and it's easy to choose uh, self over the other. But then there are other times where, like, it, it's a real intense battle, isn't it? Like, we're really going back and forth, and maybe it's it's something where we actually have time to think about it and wrestle with it. And um, we are really struggling with, okay, am I ultimately going to choose self? Am I going to give into my selfish desires or am I going to choose the other and give into really righteous desires? Well, this is really the framework that Paul is talking about in our passage here before us. And he puts these two options, we could say, uh, into these two uh, phrases, these two categories, desires of the spirit 
versus the desires of the flesh. And he makes clear in the text, doesn't he, that they are opposed to each other, that they don't line up with each other. They contradict each other. That's why the, the tension and the struggle and the battle results in our lives. There is a struggle that's going on inside of us because of this battle between the desires of the Spirit. This is, you know, for those of us who are followers of Jesus in particular, desires of the Spirit versus desires of the flesh. And Paul says, what does the desires of the flesh cause? It causes you to do what you don't want to do. You, you know that, don't you? You know that experience. I'm going to share with you a little bit later in the service about an experience from my own life where this past week I chose self over other, found myself even in the moment doing what I didn't want to do, but I did it anyway. We all know that experience. So to help us kind of unpack this and to be helped um, by Paul's words here, I I want to just take time. Uh, It's not going to be as long as usual because it's our Cogro vision service and we're hearing from Cogros throughout the service. I just want to take some time to think about the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit, all right? So let's, let's first talk about the desires of the flesh. What are the desires of the flesh? What does Paul even mean by, with this expression or phrase? Well, first I want, to, I want to point out what he doesn't mean, because it can be easy for us to maybe make this assumption on the surface, just, on the surface, just reading um, what we have here. So verse 16 Paul begins, I say, walk by the, the, the Spirit, and you will not, if you walk by the Spirit, gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Now, as we read that, we might immediately assume or conclude that what Paul means is physical nature against spiritual nature. In other words, the physical realm, world, verse um, the spiritual realm and world. That's not what Paul is talking about. And that actually, that kind of line of thinking can lead us into uh, danger, um, away from the truth of God's word. Because if we go back even in the beginning of the biblical story, um, what do we hear pronounced um, over what God has made repeatedly throughout the creation story at the beginning of the Bible? It is good. It is good. What God has made is good. So that's not the distinction that Paul is making here. It's not a distinction between that which is physical and that which is spiritual. Something else is going on here. What is it? We could say it this way. He's talking about the fallen nature. So when he, when he uses the word flesh, he's talking about the fallen nature, fallen human nature. And specifically, what, how, how, what, is, what characterizes fallen human nature? We, we could summarize it in this way, selfishness. When we live by this, the flesh, we are living selfishly. We are fixated and focused on self. Now, Paul um, goes on to say more here. So in verse uh, 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now, what does that imply? If you are living under the flesh or according to the flesh, you are under law. What, what does he mean there? Well, we, we need to do like a quick recap of what's been going on in this letter, don't we? So Paul, you know, as we talked about, as I um, teed up the sermon a little, bit, uh, a little while ago, um, what the, these 
group of false teachers have been doing is they basically have been saying, um, you have to follow aspects of the Jewish law. Like I said, you, you, you do have to believe in Jesus, you have to have faith in Jesus, but you also have to adopt uh, aspects of the Jewish law. You have to do them. And if you do them and have faith in Jesus, then you will be in with God's family and you'll be in with God himself. In other words, they're, they're saying that you have to bring yourself under the law in this way. And what Paul has been saying throughout this letter is that a person is not justified by the law. And as we've uh, described uh, time and time again, or as we've defined it, um, justified has to do with being declared right, um, with being told that we are ex- made acceptable, that we're okay, that we are in with God. And um, we've uh, unpacked throughout this series how this is really what is uh, underlying all of our motivations in life, that each and every one of us wants to be justified. We want to be told, preferably from somebody or something outside of us, that we are right, that we have it all together, that we're good to go, so to speak, that we are welcomed, that we are accepted, that we are in. We long for that. But when we live according to the flesh, the reason that now we make the connection between living according to the flesh and the law is that we use the law or we use things in God's creation to try to justify ourselves. Um, so whether they be relationships, uh, various standards that we construct, um, whatever it might be, we use the things around us or um, things that we don't necessarily see, whether they be relational dynamics, and we use these things to try to earn acceptance if we're religious with God, but if we're not religious, maybe with others, because we're longing for what? to be told that we are justified. And so living according to the flesh is a self-focused kind of life in which we are inevitably trying to make ourselves whole and right and good based on what we do. And so that's why Paul equates living according to the flesh with living under the law. Living under the Spirit frees us from that, and we'll talk more about that in a few moments. Um, But something else to point out here. The the, the word that Paul uses here with with desires of the flesh, um, the the word really means over-desire. It means to crave something in an unhealthy way. This is, I think, important for us to see. Because at first, we might just think that, okay, um, living according to the flesh involves craving bad things, things that we might think of as bad or characterize as bad, and it certainly does include that. But it also can include craving things that are good, and by our craving, turning them into ultimate things. And what I mean by that is craving something so much in which we are elevating it to a place of ultimacy in our life and saying, I must have this to truly be fulfilled and satisfied. I must have this to be justified, validated in life. And so the desires of the flesh, that word specifically has to do with over-desiring something in a way that is unhealthy, in a way that we weren't meant to experience as human beings. 
It's self-centeredness at its core. It's basically going throughout life with this mindset that there are no rules, there are no standards, that we construct the standards and the rules, and we crave whatever we crave, we pursue whatever we pursue, as long as in the end it makes us happy and validates our existence. Now, what are the works of the flesh? So we've talked about the desires of the flesh, but Paul uses this phrase, the works of the flesh, in verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Now, we're not, we don't have time this morning to define every word in this list, and we're not going to have time to define every word um, in the list of uh, the desires or, or the fruit of the Spirit. But if you look at this list, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, I, I want you to see how it's all-inclusive. You know, that we can't look at this list and say, I am free from, 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 the, from Paul's list. We are all guilty in some way of engaging in these kinds of activities, aren't we? Now, we tend to elevate certain ones that are listed here as, like, really bad, and then we um, look at ones such as, like, maybe fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and minimize them or, or limit them. But this is an all-inclusive, catch-all list. We all are prone to the works of the flesh. And what I want you to see from this list, given that we don't have time to define each of these words or phrases, is that I, I want to come back to this point again, that they all are marked by self-centered living. Now, Paul concludes, at the end of this list, he says something that might be really um, bothersome to us. Uh, he says, in verse, uh, the end of verse 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And maybe you wonder, if you're familiar with the Christian faith, like, well, what about forgiveness? What about salvation and rescue and redemption? The, the wording that Paul uses here, do these things, it, it has to do with uh, doing them in an ongoing way. So it's a, a pattern of conduct or behavior that characterizes our lives. So it's a pattern. That's what Paul's referring to, that those who... Um, give themselves over to these kinds of things as a way of life, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why is that? It's because self-centered living is opposed to life in the kingdom, life in Jesus' kingdom. Self-centered living is opposed, it contradicts life in Jesus' kingdom. You have to remember something about what the context of what Paul is addressing, in, addressing here and where he's going. It's all about community life. It's easy for us to kind of jump into this chapter of Galatians and isolate it, make this simply about individuals. But Paul is addressing a community. And at the end of last week's passage, uh, ending with verse um, uh, 14, well, 15, he says, If you bite and devour one another, watch out, you are not consumed by one another. So Paul is um, concerned about the quality of their community life. And specifically, as this group of false teachers has begun to invade the church, they're uh, emphasizing this message of 
All right, you have to do these things. You have to follow these Jewish customs to these non-Jewish people basically telling them that they have to become Jewish to really be in with God. Paul can see what the implications are going to be, that it's going to turn into a self-centered faith, that these false teachers are already doing this. They are manipulating others. They're elevating themselves above others. And this is what self-centered faith does. And I hope that you've seen how the gospel throughout this series, the good news of Jesus, is so different and how it produces a different kind of community life. Because for those of us who are united to Jesus and united to one another through Jesus, we do not have to use each other. We do not have to use the things of the world to um, try to justify ourselves. That means that we rest in the justification that we have through faith in what Jesus has done for us, that we are welcomed by the Father through faith, resting in Jesus' performance, and we welcome one another. We don't have to use each other as the standard. The standard is God's holiness. The standard is the gospel, right? And so we are free to actually love one another because we don't have to use each other. And so Paul is concerned about the quality of their community life. And I want you to think about this list, this list of the works of the flesh. How do they affect community life? How do these behaviors, these actions, how do they affect community life? Well, this list taken as a whole is really a picture of life turned inward. It's a picture of life turned inward. And when that happens, relationships are damaged. These are not things that lead to human flourishing and thriving. That's why Paul says that for those who give themselves over to these things as a way of life, they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because these things do not promote human flourishing and thriving. And that is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's what the gospel is all about. In Christ, God is seeking to heal and to make whole and to make right all that has been damaged by sin and the fall of humanity. And we're we're about to get to it. The list of the fruits of the Spirit are basically a picture of life as God intended it to be. And so the, the lists of the works of the flesh have no place in God's kingdom because they interfere with human flourishing and thriving. It's life turned inward. It's about people doing what they want, doing things to others as long as it makes them happy. It's not life as it was meant to be by God. And so Paul is concerned because he's concerned about the quality of their community life. I told you that I would share a personal story uh, from my own week um, to help illustrate this. So um, yesterday, uh, we had community group leaders training, and uh, earlier in the week, uh, Katie uh, came to me one evening because our, our girls were going to be um, helping with uh, child care uh, for that uh, event, and um, she came to me because uh, we were, they were going to be watching the Gregor's kids, and so I was, try- I was supposed to communicate with Josh about the details and the logistics of that. So Katie came to me, uh, I think it was maybe Wednesday night. Uh, it was 
in the evening, like I said, I think I was maybe mindlessly watching the Phillies game, and there's a good chance they were losing because they do a lot of that. Um, and so maybe I was frustrated some by that, but you know, I just had a lot going on recently, really busy. And so um, she started to ask me, like, wanted to get assurance, like, are you figuring these details out? Because it's going to be important that we communicate these to the girls ahead of time. And, like, it was evident to her that, like, I, I, I don't want to talk about this right now. Like, it's under control. Don't worry about it. I didn't say much. That was the problem. Uh, I didn't say much, but she could just tell by my posture and my, um, my mannerisms that, don't want to talk about this right now. And so she, understandably so, um, kind of just walked away from that conversation with, he's going to figure it out. It's up to him. I did figure it out. Well, I tried to, like Friday night at 11 p.m. Uh, the morning before. Um, and so what happened was Saturday morning, um, all of the details were not figured out or finalized. And long story short, um, it basically created confusion. Um, it hurt my girls in different ways. I was impatient with Katie. And all of this comes back to a source of the, the internal struggle and, and, and battle, the choice between self, uh, self-centered living and other-centered living. In that moment when Katie talked to me, I can tell you honestly um, that in that moment, I, I was doing what I didn't want to do, as Paul says here. I, I, I'm, it wasn't even just because I, w- I was thinking about this passage over the course of the week, but in that moment, I can tell you that I was aware of this struggle and battle. And guess what? In my sin, I chose very quickly the path of self-centeredness as opposed to other-centeredness. And the end result was... Um, a lack of thriving and flourishing for everyone connected to the situation. This is how this plays out. It, it, the, the, the choices that we make, this internal struggle of self-centered living or other-centered living doesn't just impact or affect us. It affects others around us. It affects our relationships. And so that's why Paul is so concerned about this. Yes, he's concerned about it at an individual level, but he's also concerned about it at a communal level. All right, that's a lot of negativity, isn't it? A lot of bad stuff. Let's talk about the desires of the Spirit now. What are the desires of the Spirit? Well, I want you to look down at verse 24. Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. That has to be our starting point here as we talk about the desires of the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit, um, they find their origin in us belonging to Jesus. We're about to um, look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit, but I want you to um, be aware of the fact that Jesus embodies perfectly the fruit of the Spirit. And so this life that Paul is now calling us to, he's he's highlighted the works of the flesh. He's about to highlight the the fruit of the Spirit. This is the life that God intends for us. It's the destiny that God has for his people. And Jesus perfectly embodies these things. And so what we're saying is that 
The goal of life, the goal of life is to be made like Jesus. That's God's like, big plan in the world with people, with his people, to make them like Jesus. And, and so that's what we're after here. Those who belong to Christ Jesus and have crucified the flesh. Now, throughout the New Testament, particularly with Paul, he talks a lot about the old self versus the new self. And that's really the backdrop for what he's talking about here. Um, for us to um, begin to give ourselves over to the desires of the spirit more than the desires of the flesh, what has to happen is we have to be made new. We have to be changed. We have to be regenerated. And that's what the gospel does. When we cling to Jesus by faith, we are identified with him. We are brought into union with him. And his work covers us. And so that means the life that he lived, I mean, this is incredible. The life that he lived becomes our life. The death that he died absorbing our sin, our guilt, our shame, all of our uh, works of the flesh, our wrongdoing, were uh, absorbed by him. And as we are in union with him, what happens is that we too, the old self is crucified. And then we come out of the resurrection with Jesus, our new self comes out. But it's actually the true self. It's, it's still us, but it's who we were always meant to be from the very beginning. And so the starting point here, I, I'll just say it, I'll say it boldly. You can't become a person characterized by the fruit of the Spirit apart from Jesus. The gospel is that unique. It's that powerful. It is the solution for all that is wrong in the world and is the solution for all that is wrong in you. For you to do the things that you were made to do, you have to come to Jesus. You have to be found in him. You have to belong to him because your performance is not going to be good enough to gain this status. This status is ours because of Jesus. And the call of the New Testament is now begin to live like you who you actually really are in Jesus. This is other-centered living. You know, Paul says, verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit. Verse 25, in step with the Spirit. All of these things imply active personal involvement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, what is the Holy Spirit? That sermon for another time, but I'll just say this, that um, God in his grace and his generosity and his kindness to us, that when Jesus ascends into heaven, he gives us his spirit, Jesus' personal presence with us, that we might stay connected to him, that we might know him intimately. And so when Paul talks about walking in step with the spirit, being in tune to the spirit, it's really a, a, about being in tune with Jesus and walking in step with Jesus. We could summarize all of this and say, it's about life under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Life under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that kind of brings us to another question. Who or what is leading you in your life? Who or what is leading you in your life? That's a hard one to think about, hard one to answer. But like on a daily basis, what is controlling you? What is dominating you? What is directing you? What is leading you? 
If we belong to Christ, we are to be under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because the being led by the Holy Spirit is what shapes us and fuels us to live the life of the kingdom. What, what characterizes that? Paul lists nine things here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self, gentleness, self-control. These are attributes of godly character. They're attributes of humanity that we were always meant to be characterized by. They're attributes of Jesus, right? Remember that? The life of the kingdom is a life of being shaped into the likeness of Jesus. It's the life that God intends. It's other-centered. It's true freedom. True freedom. And that's, as we wrap up here, that's also an important backdrop here. Because throughout this letter, Paul is really concerned about the spiritual freedom of these followers of Jesus. And if we give ourselves over to the desires of the flesh and live according to the works of the flesh, it's going to lead us down the path of slavery. We might not think that. We talked about this last week because it really comes back to how we define freedom. In our culture, in our world, we tend to define freedom as doing whatever we want to do without limitation, without restriction in order to be happy and fulfilled. But biblical freedom is coming under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There are restraints that are actually good because we could say it this way. Biblical freedom is having our desires conform to God's intentions for life. That's true freedom. Because the life of slavery is a life fixated and focused on self. Biblical freedom produces a life that is focused on the other. And I, I, it's amazing, like, right? As we begin to come to the end of this letter, we have the big picture. This is what Paul has been doing all along. He wants, the, he wants them to get the gospel right. He wants them to get their theology right so that their life together might be right. That's, that, that's, that, that's his agenda here. He realizes this isn't just an abstract theological issue. What we believe has implications for how we live. And will it produce other-centered living or will it produce self-centered living? So let me um, conclude the story that I, I shared with you about uh, my personal experience of choosing the desires of the flesh over the desire or the fruit of the spirit this past week. So came home yesterday. Uh, well, on the way home um, from community group leadership training, you might imagine um, Katie and I got in the car. I mean, this it was one of those terrible days as a pastor where you like you go into a training that you're leading and you're not like right with your wife. I mean, not like just it, with this particular example. Like. We had an argument, there was tension that did not get resolved going into it, and so I was just honest with the community group leaders, like, you know, it's one of those moments where I feel like I'm not worthy, I'm not adequate to do this, but that's true, I'm not. Like, that's why we believe the gospel, it's why we're going to be teaching the gospel and living the gospel this morning. So you can imagine that after training, we get in the car, the first, um, you know, two minutes or whatever, there's no speaking, no speaking. I'm like, I don't know how to begin. And then she finally says, I don't even know where to start. I say, I don't know where to start either. We found a place to start. 
uh, we had a good healing conversation on the way home. And um, it was hard for me, but I, I, I knew over the course of that morning that I had to confess that I did not lead well. I did not lead uh, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I led according to the works of the flesh, according to the desires of the flesh. And so, like, when I got in the car, I knew that I was going to have to repent, to turn from my sin. I was going to have to own this. But that battle, right? Every, I didn't want to because I want to always be right. I want to be justified. I don't want people to know that I don't have it all together. That's the desires of the flesh stuff. It's being under law. But... God, in his kindness through the Holy Spirit, enabled me to confess my sin to Katie. And then we got home. And this story, in some ways, this is a a, a bad illustration because my preaching professor in seminary would always say, don't tell stories that make you look like the hero. That is not my intention here. I I hope that you, whatever. That's not my intention here. Um, But we, we got home, called the girls down, and... Like, there was all stuff that we had to own and confess, but it had to start with me. And so, again, God in his kindness through the power of the Holy Spirit enabled me, even though it was hard, to keep coming back to, like, I know. The ultimate source of this was my um, lack of leadership and my inability to plan and communicate when I should have. It was hard, but guess what? At the end of that, I mean, it's not like everything was like, amazing, and it wasn't, it was real life. But I I felt a sense of freedom after that. I felt freedom. Because that's what life under the leadership of the Holy Spirit produces. That's what the fruit of the Spirit produces in our lives, freedom. And it was just one glimpse for me into my own life of how God is making me new, how he's changing me, transforming me, making me more like Jesus, but it was an encouraging sign. And my prayer for you is that we would have those encouraging signs this coming week as we walk in step with the the Spirit and choose other-centered living over self-centered living. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your deep care, your deep love, your deep mercy and generosity toward us. We thank you that you have not left us to ourselves in our fallen nature, that you do not leave us to our own leadership to try to figure out how to make ourselves right. If that were the case, we would be lost forever. We thank you for Jesus who rescues us from ourselves and sets us on a completely new trajectory in life where we are able to not just simply live for self, but for others. I pray that our church family would be increasingly marked by the fruit of the Spirit. I pray that uh, the works of the flesh would characterize us less and less. And I pray that as we individually and as a church collectively begin to look more like Jesus, that he would get glory and that our city and our region would be drawn to him. We pray in his name. Amen.